Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Hey, all you Raw Knuckles fans out there. Guess who's coming up this week? Right here, this fella. And we did something a little different this week. We had a friend of Terry's, John Batistas, um, who interviewed Terry and me together. Um, awesome, awesome episode. We had a lot of fun, but we're going to do it a little different. We're going to break it down into three parts because John was so eager to talk to the two of us. Um, we went for about three hours and 20 minutes. So we're going to break it up uh, into three different episodes. And there's some funny stories, some, uh, you know, pretty heavy topics in there. And uh, we even watch some of uh, our old fights and talk about our old fights where Terry mushed my nose when I was a rookie and the blood poured out of my head. And then I got him back a little bit later, cut him for about uh, 20-something stitches. So it's awesome. We had a great time. I love Terry O'Reilly. I loved him before I got to the NHL. I had nothing but respect for him. And... Um, you will too when you hear this episode. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. Now, Chris, I know you were the son of a uh, U.S. Army Special Forces Green Beret. And I've heard you describe him as a very, you know, he's a very disciplinarian, tough father. Um, what was that like growing up? And did you know he was a Green Beret when you were young? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, not like when I was five or six, I didn't know. But, um, you know, when I got a little older, seven, eight, nine years old, I know he used to go away. And, you know, I, a couple of times I went up to Fort Devens when, and watched him jump out of planes and, stuff like that. And he'd take me around and, you know, I'd see him in his uniform when he's heading, heading out. And yeah, so I had an idea and, uh, I really, I really looked up to him. He's my hero, my dad. I, I mean, I miss him every day. You know, I, I only lost him a couple of years ago here, but, uh, he was an incredible, uh, man. He really instilled some things in me that, that uh, I've tapped into in my life and carried through my life that have helped me um, even through my most difficult times when I was battling with addiction. And what, what, if you were to name two things that, that really, you, if you were talking about him today and you could say, dad, I, I really appreciate these two or three things that you taught me that uh, has really helped me. What would they be? You know, just to be, um, one, be polite, be good to other people, have integrity, be a man of your word. Um, uh, and, and one of the things he really stressed growing up, other than being able to take care of myself, was, um, you know, Green Berets, um, they go into war zones and they, they help educate the native people, but also teach them how to protect themselves. And... Um, that's one of the things he always stressed with me. I, you know, in school, when I went off to school, I remember, you know, before I, I, I go out the door, he, he, when I was a kid, he always tell me, you know, keep your head up out there. You got to be able to take care of yourself. Don't let no one get over on you. People are going to try and take advantage of you. Don't let no one. And he, he, he stressed that. And he also showed me on a few occasions and, you know, I seen him use his hands a few times as a kid. And I'm like, fucking, yeah, my dad kicked that guy's ass in front of me. And it, I, you know, that kind of rubbed off on me, but, and he, and he stressed when I went to school, he, he told me, I don't ever want that. Someone calling from that school saying you were picking on a kid because if I get that phone call, call, I'll kick your ass all over this neighborhood. He said, and if they call me and tell me you got in a fight because you were sticking up for someone, Perfect. I don't care. But if you, if I ever get that call, you're picking on something and I kick your ass. And he stressed that. And, you know, I, I've kind of carried those things in life. You know, be polite to elders, respect, have, be a man of your word, and, and be able to, you know, have some backbone and stand up for yourself. 
Um, what was that like? You said, was there, was there physical abuse? I grew up in a house of physical abuse. Um, and it was, yeah, it, yeah, it, there was to some extent. And, you know, my father disciplined that way. And as I got older and I tested him and started bucking the system, you know, I got in some serious trouble as a kid. Um, and he often thought that might be the way to get to me, but it, it proved not to be, um, you know, and, um, and you, I know, you know you I, look back, I, I look back at it and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad he was like that with me because honest to God, I, I, I think my life could have taken a whole different path. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, you had brothers and sisters? One brother, two sisters. Yep. Uh, w- were you the oldest, youngest? Middle I was the third. I was the third sister, older sister, then my brother, then me, and then a younger sister. And is your brother still with, with us or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He is. And he's battling have... cancer right now, but yeah, he's still with us. And you have children. Yeah, I have three. They all live in Boston. Uh, my oldest is 40. Colleen, Chris is 38. He's an electrician. Colleen's a nurse and Tara. Um, she lives up in the North shore. She's 34. Now, Doing well. with regard, and I'll go back to that, but with regard to, you've had a lot of injuries, uh, you know, obviously I think you said you had something like 26 surgeries. Is that correct? 30, 36. Is it mostly on your hands? I've had, uh, my hands, uh, I've had five on my left ankle. I had 12 on my right knee until I got it replaced. That's with getting it replaced was the last one. But eight of those were scopes, but there's still surgeries. Elbow, both shoulders twice. I have no teeth in my head. I have rods in my face here and implants. These are none of my teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, my hands. Um, uh, God, yeah. So when you were playing, I, uh, you were, you, you must've had a lot of stamina cause you could go forever when, when you got into, uh, some fisticuffs, w- was that something that was natural with you? Were you always training for that or how did you, how were you able to I laugh? think it's hereditary. It's, it's okay. pretty hereditary with me. And I, I've always had pretty good max VO two. And I'll tell you a story when I was with the Bruins, remember Mike Boyle, Terry, right? Oh, yeah. And Mike was there. And we did a test during the year. And I come in the locker room. They sat me next to Gord Kluzak. He came in the room. He was pissed off, Gordy. He started yelling at the trainer. You, I can't believe he's here. And then you sit him next to me. It was hilarious. Anyway, we do the tests and everything. And we get the results back. And Mike comes in the room and he goes around the room. He's telling everybody, all right, sit-ups, push-ups, what guys did, where they came in. And then Max VO2 came. Number one on the team was Ray Bork. Number two was me. And then he went down the line. Wes, Wes Walsh was like the last, and he's a rookie. And he said, anybody got any questions? And Wes says, yeah, Mike, I want to fucking, I, I don't get this. It, like, Knuckles, he's 34 years old. He comes in second. He said, before he got on the bike, he had three cigarettes and three cups of coffee. <laughs> And he gets on the bike. How can he have the second best Max VO2 on the team? He didn't get it, right? And, you know, it's, it was mostly hereditary. Okay. So when you started having all these surgeries, obviously during your career afterwards, you, it got to a point where, you, if I remember correctly, you started taking Percocet. Is that correct? Yeah, that's where it started, yeah. Now, did it go to obviously yeah, it started in retirement? I did it. I took Percocet once when I played. When I was in New York, I broke my arm in Montreal and I had to fly back to New York without a cast. I had a compound fracture on my ulna. And they just wrapped me in an ace and gave me a ball of Percocet because they couldn't put a cast on it because I was flying. Mm-hmm. So, actually, the first time I took it, I threw up. Uh, yeah. So, and, and, mo- most of my surgeries, a few when I was a kid, uh, I had my knee and uh, stuff done when I was a kid, the first big surgery. And then uh, during my career, like in the off season, scopes and couple shoulder ones in the off season. But most of them were after afterwards. 
And then what, how, after a while, you're taking more Percocet, what are you taking after that because it's not effective? Just more Percocet. You know, and I would drink and take them, yeah. Did you ever go to Oxycontin? Oh, I went to Oxycontin eventually, yeah, eventually. Yeah. There's a there's a show, I think it's on Amazon or Netflix, called Dope Sick. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen Yeah, I did. Yeah, and me, how, I've, I've watched all of that. It's really to get you addicted. It's very disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, yeah, disturbing. If you, had, if you had a similar experience. It's disturbing what drug companies do yeah. to our country. Anyway. And so what, what led to you, and, and again, you don't have to answer these questions, but what led yeah. to you actually getting on heroin? How, how did that uh, happen? Well, I couldn't get Oxycontin anymore. Okay. So the doctors you know, were saying, we're not giving it to you? Well, yeah, they started cracking down. And if you've ever been dope sick, um, it it's... It's the worst. You, you, joint pain, throwing up. Uh, it, it, you, you wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And um, the only thing that takes it away is more drugs, more opiates. And when I couldn't get them anymore, I ended up getting uh, heroin. And for the first time, I went three days trying to kick it, and I was dying. I was. It was the worst I ever felt in my life. And um, I ended up getting some, and I snorted it, and it took um, the pain and everything right away. You know? And how did you get it? I mean, uh, you don't have to say who, but what? Uh, yeah, what made I you made a call? couple. I made a phone call, and it, it was easy. Yeah. Okay. And then at that time, did your parents or kids or spouse or anybody know that this was going on with you? In the initial um, stage where you were getting addicted, and and you had to turn to that. No, they didn't know that part of it. Uh, you know, I think they, you know, they knew something was up. You know, I said, my my dad knew something was up. He would talk to uh, a good friend of mine, Jim Vesey. Okay. Say, what the fuck is going on with him? And Jimmy's certainly trying to protect me, but he's also trying to help me, and he couldn't because you can't help anybody until they want it. You know. What was that like for your mom and dad? I know I, I remember seeing your dad terrible. on the, on the terrible. Gladiator. Did they I was try ashamed to... of myself. Yeah, I was ashamed of myself uh, um, putting them through that. But, you know, it, I look back, back, it was, you know, part of my life. Um, you know, I, and again, uh, I accept it. It's the way my life went. I, mean, I don't blame anybody for what happened to me. Um, um, I don't blame hockey. I don't blame fighting. I don't blame my parents. Um, I got into that stuff and, um, it, um, it took hold of me. And when I say it, it took hold of me, it took hold of me. It's believe me, it's, um, something that, um, and I knew nothing about addiction. Um, I knew nothing about going to treatment and getting help like that or anything. I knew nothing about that. But I found out about that at one point to a former teammate who uh, directed me in, uh, toward this one guy that helped me to get into treatment. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Um, and it took a few times uh, in treatment to, to yeah, have I went stick. twice. Yeah. Okay. And the second time did stick or was it difficult to keep? I have a sister that... Uh, has a similar issue and she has I relapsed three times okay yeah and what was the final straw how did you end up just kicking um, uh, I overdosed in a hospital my mother had a stroke and I overdosed in the hospital and I woke up in the emergency room they brought me back that was in 2015 wow I mean you almost died eight years ago I'll be eight years sober and clean and sober in um, December 7th. It's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, um, now you Chris. Thanks, Taz. And, and, and not only have you uh, recovered yourself, but just by talking about it, you're helping countless other people. I appreciate it. And I have, um, that's been a, a mission of mine, you know, believe me, I, I can't keep, keep this thing. I have sobriety unless I'm able to share it and give it away. So uh, that's part of the whole program. So um, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Your relationship with your mom, was it good? 
Yeah, I had a great relationship with my mom. Yep. And when your dad passed, did you have any regrets whatsoever that you didn't get to say what you wanted to say to him? No, no, that we, we put everything to rest. Yeah. You know, he knew I loved him. I knew he loved me. And um, we had a, you know, that's father son relationship is one of the toughest. Right. And yes, the, <laughs> without a doubt. And um, yeah, we put that all to, to rest. You know, the day he, the night he died, he was watching um, the Canadians play on TV and he was texting me. And we had talked that morning on uh, FaceTime. I would FaceTime all the time. And I'd be on my computer and be talking. And, you know, i get down to see him. i drive down and spend weekend. And then I'd be back up here. But we FaceTime almost every day, you know. And, um, yeah, I talked to him. And he seemed preoccupied that morning, you know. My brother called me the next day but when he passed in the morning. But he seemed really preoccupied. He was on the computer and he was doing other shit while he was talking to me. And he hardly ever did that. So I don't know if he's trying to get stuff in order because he thought, you know, he felt like he was going to check out. What, what was it? A he, was taking care of my, he was taking care of my mom. My mom has dementia. She's still okay. alive. Mm-hmm. And it just wore the shit out of him. It, it, yeah. I, when I tell you, it, it was a friggin' nightmare for him mm-hmm. the last years of his life. It, it, it was so, so difficult on him he, he would never put her in a place dead set against it wouldn't take any help until we finally had the irish angels come in and help uh they would come in at nine every day and then he could get out and do a couple things on his own but when they'd leave at night my mother would keep him up all night she never slept and uh anyway yeah and he just went down uh um on the in the living room they found him she sat next to him all night, never left the house. You know, she was there alone with him. She just, when they, nurse, when the Irish angel came in uh, in the morning, they found my mother just sitting next to him on the floor. It's terrible. But anyway, let's, let's hit Taz a little. Well, I got two Let, more questions. Let's, let's uh, get him in here. Not about I your dad. Get him I, in. I just have two things about Go your ahead. dad. Uh, is what an honor, you know, when you won the Stanley Cup, for your dad to give him the Stanley Cup ring. I yeah. Mean, that sells a yeah, lot. Yeah. What did he, what, what was the plan once he passed? Who, who got the ring? Um, <clears throat> I gave it to my son, Chris, so he can pass it on to his son. Okay. I have another ring though. Sur- <clears throat> Surge, <clears throat> after he traded me, I came back in the summer um, when I got traded to, uh, the ranges. And I came back that, uh, summer to do my golf tournament. And he called me and said, Hey, come and see me. He said, I know you gave your father your ring. I had another one made for you. Okay. Wow. That's pretty class. cool. Very yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was awesome. And, and Terry, you played against Serge. <clears throat> what was yeah. it like to play against him? Uh, well, the big three, eh? I mean, he was, he was, he and Larry and, uh, what was the third one? Gila Point. Gila Point, yeah. He was um, a teammate of yours later. Gila Point. I played. I played with all three of them, too. Yeah. Just yeah. To... You know, and then uh, Langway came along, and Chelios. They Montreal always had uh, a strong defense core. So, but what was it like to to play against uh, Serge? Oh, he was he was just big and smart. He he wasn't uh, a real physical guy, but just his size his intelligence and his skill level, he, you know, he, and my lack of skating, <laughs> it was tough to get by some room with uh, any one of those three guys on the ice. In fact, another player that we can mention, and I'm going to go back to, I, I have one more question for Chris before we get into the hockey part. I, and then Terry, I'm going to go into your background as well, but Larry Robinson, I know you have the ultimate respect for Larry and I know you do too, Chris, but you've mentioned him several times. I don't think you ever fought him in the NHL, but you told me a story once you fought him, I think in juniors or the minors. And... Yeah, the American Hockey League. He was, he was with uh, Nova Scotia, Montreal's farm team, and I was with the Boston Braves, and uh, we got into a scrap. So. I, I think you had mentioned, if I'm saying this wrong, you can correct me, but you said he was so big. You said you guys kind of went, went at it, 
nobody got the the win, but when you guys clutched each other, you felt like you were in the arms of your dad. He was so big, like when you were a kid. Well, we we exchanged punches. It was a bit of a brawl on the ice, so everybody paired off, and the officials had their hands full. So Larry and I fought until we were tired. You know, we just exchanged blows until, you know, we basically just stopped and held on to each other and watched everything else going on. And uh, we never fought again. Uh, when we, we both moved up to the NHL, we never fought again. Didn't see any point in it. <laughs> All right. And you had a lot of respect for him as a player. I mean, I, I have, and I'll when we start going through some videos, I'll show you, uh, and I don't know how we'll, how we'll do that with Barry, but I have a whole slew of videos that I'd like to get you guys' comments on, but one of which is where you're hitting Larry and Larry's coming after you. And, but you had a lot of respect for him. It wasn't like he wasn't a bully. He wasn't a, you know, he was just a good, honest, very good hockey player. Is yeah. that? But if you followed one of his teammates, then he would be right there in your face. Uh, but I could, I could hit him as hard as I could hit him and he'd I'd bounce off him, but he would, he'd absorb the check and then he'd try to return it, but no, uh, no extra uh, activity. So. A real honorable player. Yeah, he was. And what was that like for you, Chris, going into uh, Montreal with Larry as a teammate? Because he seemed to really take you right away. Um, yeah, Big Bird, he, he was awesome. Um, you know, him and Bob, the leadership they provided uh, for all the young guys that come in. You know, I got there in that transitional stage when things opened up for me. Um, they won the fourth cup, and I – you know, I had stayed in school, 78, I got drafted. I stayed, my father wouldn't let me leave school. I wanted to turn pro right away. He used to stay in school, so I did. And I came after that fourth Stanley Cup, and, you know, Dryden left. Cornwier hurt his back. He was done. LeMaire left. So they were all gone. And, you know, there's still a, quite a few around, but that team was starting to break up. And, and Larry um, and Bob were the two that, you know, stayed on from those four teams and really helped, you know, with the rebuilding process of the organization. But Larry, he was awesome with everybody. I just spent time with him this summer. I went to a concert with him when he was up here and um, he's just a really good person, you know, a good guy, solid guy. Um, uh, last personal question, uh, Chris, uh, in terms of background. There was an issue with the Boston Catholic Church. Yep. Um, I think you ended up testifying uh, about some sexual abuse or, mm. uh, back in like 2002. How did you get involved in that? Well, the priest who um, was at Catholic Memorial where I went to school, um, he was a chaplain, and they were the Irish Christian brothers, and he was a chaplain there. Father Ryan christened my three children. He married me. He married a good friend of mine, Mike Daly, christened his kids. And he happened to um, abuse one of the kids that I knew on my street. And the kid came to me. And then somebody else came to him, to me. And I confronted Father Ryan with that. And he said, oh, they're lying. Uh, I said, well, something's up here. And the more and more that come out, and I heard from three kids all together. And I went with my friend, Mike Daly, um, to his house in Everett, over, uh, Everett, and confronted him. Cause Mike played basketball at CMI, played hockey. And we were both really respected Father Ryan. And um, we sat down he said, oh, what are you guys doing here? And I said, you know, we're here, I, I, I want the, that's exactly what I said. I said, I want the fucking truth because someone's lying here and I got a feeling it's you. And we went and sat down and I said, enough of the shit. You always told me, be honest, tell the truth in life. You always told me that. I said, it's your fucking turn now. I said, here's the three guys I heard from. And he confessed to Mike and I. Mike almost fucking fell on. Mike couldn't believe it. He almost fell off the chair. And, um, Dan Ray, you know Dan Ray, Channel 4 News? Dan was my agent, and he did Eyewitness News. And Father Ryan said, well, what can I do? 
And I said, here's the deal. I want you to confess on air so you can let these kids off the hook. I said, we got all these old ladies calling, oh, Father Ryan would never do anything like that. He's the nicest man. And I said, I want you to let these kids off the fucking hook. Everybody's calling him a liar. So he said, I'll do it, but I'll only do it with Dan Ray. Because Dan Ray uh, knew Father Ryan from High Park when he was growing up. Most precious blood. So I got on the phone, called Dan Ray. Dan Ray was in the Bahamas. So Dan said, I can get a camera over there. Can we get someone else? He wouldn't do it with anybody but Dan. And um, Dan come back two days later. And I reached out to Father Ryan, and he, he wouldn't pick up. He lawyered up. and So, yeah. And I, I didn't testify. I did speak to an attorney on behalf of um, uh, one of the victims. But, uh, yeah, I was. I was what, what ended up happening to him? He lives back in Iowa now. He got defrocked. Nothing, you know. Should have been thrown in fucking jail is what he should right. have been. Well, so, just out of curiosity, why did everybody come to you? Did they already go to the police or? Well, the just... one kid, the kid, the one kid who lived on my street was a hockey player. And I knew him. Mm, okay. And then he knew the other kids that were involved. That Father Ryan abused sexually. And... um they came to Gary and in turn, Gary brought them to me. Okay. Because they know I was going to go confront them. That must made a, I mean, that's pretty amazing what you did. It what sucked a, though. It sucked. I'm the sure whole it thing horrible. sucked. It was, it's terrible. It's terrible. And then how the church, you know, try and cover everything up and what they did. It's fucking terrible. I grew up Catholic. Right. You know, I believe in God. I'm a spiritual guy. And, um, you know, but the church really, and there are a lot of good priests out there. And it's a shame that there are a lot of good men that, that do it for the right reasons and, and are really caring, loving people and, um, God fearing people. But, um, that there's that one group of them that it's fucking terrible what they did. Thank you for sharing that. If you're like me and you're going to play some golf this summer, you have to check out this hidden gem. Windmill Heights sits atop the beautiful hills in Notre Dame de Il Perot. They have affordable rates and they offer customized membership opportunities for all levels. If you want to book a tee time, call 514-453-7177. Hit them straight. If you love your pet like I love my St. Bernard Adele, You'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you'll choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's RAWNUX, R-A-W-K-N-U-X. Your, your background with your dad. Your, your dad was kind of a rough and tumble guy a little bit, wouldn't you say, as well? I think, yeah, he, he grew up in a rough and tumble atmosphere. I think back then that was the way kids were raised, you know. Spare the rod, spoil the child. So, uh, I thought he was fair, though. He had he had five sons, and uh, if we did something wrong outside uh, his rules, uh, we got the leather belt, you know. And uh, we'd line up, drop our drawers, <laughs> and he'd, he'd, he'd lay that leather yep. up our bare butt, and uh, you know that was we we'd have a big big red welt across our cheeks and you know that's you learn your lesson real quick that way but fortunately things have evolved and that's not how we handle things in this day and age and your dad was a milkman right yes for most of his life he, later later years he uh, became a real estate agent but 
uh, in my youth, he delivered milk. He, he moved up to be the supervisor of the dairy. So if, uh, if they were short step drivers, either through vacation or illness, he had uh, a house full of sons to, to, you know, draft from. So he drafted me one summer uh, when he was short of drivers and I had just gotten my driver's license. I had never dri driven a stick, never driven a truck. He gave me a, a lesson driving around a parking lot with this big milk truck. Then he gave me a list of 15 stores and restaurants that I had to deliver milk to. And uh, way to go. <laughs> that was the longest day of my life, that one. That was, you know, I made a few mistakes. Yeah, there, wasn't there something where the it started the truck started to roll backwards or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. The truck, uh, I didn't put the emergency brake on it. And... Uh, it rolled backwards into uh, it was the landing thing at, a, at a, a prison in Whitby, and it smashed up the railing and everything. And I looked around; and there's nobody there, so I got in the truck and drove off to my next customer and came back and did them later on. So I guess I should admit that maybe there's still a little warrant out for the for the repairs on that. But uh, one time I was helping my dad, and, and you know when you're delivering milk as you as you empty the cases they get in the way of the inventory uh near the front of the truck so you have to rearrange everything you take all the empties out stack them on the street rearrange the milk and the cream and the orange juice and the butter and then put the empties back in out of the way and away you go to your next customer well we rearranged things got in the truck and started driving down the highway and siren Police car pulled us over and uh, said, "Is that your uh, twenty-four empty uh, cases in the middle of the road back there?" <laughs> we forgot to load up the empties, so we left them sitting right in the middle of the street. And so, John, if you've never had Canadian milk, never doesn't compare to the U.S. It, it is so much better. A Canadian milk, drink, Canadian milk is so good. Oh, and we had everything, Chris. Yeah, I'd have a, a one of those plastic milk crates, and in it I would have a quart of white milk, quart of mm -hmm. chocolate milk, orange juice, you mm -hmm. know, one of everything. And mm -hmm. it, as I was working, just you know, you, I Canadian think still milk's have the best. Milk, Perry, you still drink uh, <laughs> chocolate milk every time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. can I? I'm going to ask you a, another personal question. And my question is. Uh, there was a time uh, that you were with your dad and a friend, and you were the, known as a player that uh, never, you kind of tapped the guy on the shoulder, let him turn around, hit you first, and then you would fight, um, which was different than most players. And there was a, a time that you told me about when you were at home, um, and your dad had been drinking a little bit, just having fun with his buddy. Yeah. Do you mind sharing that story? Well, uh, John, that was a very private story. Uh, let me summarize. <laughs> let me just give you a brief. Okay. He, his friend, uh, as I passed through the kitchen, what my, my routine was to go to school all day, go directly from school to practice for the Oshawa Generals. That would be two, two and a half hours. Get home. I was wiped out. I'd have a bite to eat, go in, have a nap for about an hour and a half, then get up and do my homework. So I'm strolling out of the bedroom at 9.30 at night to get up and do my homework. And uh, my dad was sitting at the kitchen table with a buddy of his. Uh, and uh, and his buddy said, oh, there's uh, there's a hockey player, the scrapper. And, uh, and my dad said, yeah, but he's got to learn to get that first punch in. And then he gave his buddy a demonstration. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. So he popped me one and, and, uh, so that was a lesson. Get that first punch in, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was on the receiving end of that. Let me tell you, he didn't fucking tap me on the shoulder. Yeah. Well, I remember a scrap with you where you got the first one in. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we're going to get into that. We'll uh, get to that. Get but that's... In the box, you know, somebody wound him up. God. And, and he popped out of there. I know who did it and you do too, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to that oh, yeah. with yeah. John. So what was that last part of this? I know you don't want to get totally into it, but how, how did you react to that? I mean, especially in front of another person when, when you got popped. Well, 
my dad was very strict and and he had five boys and it, it was a very yes father no father very strict uh rule of the house so uh and and also respect you know i i had a lot of respect for him he he got up at uh, 4 35 o'clock every morning down to the dairy loaded his truck up and delivered milk to provide in that day and age to provide for five boys uh, all our you know our appetites just five boys putting food on the table five boys wanting to play hockey in the winter baseball in the summer football all the equipment all the time i i have to really really give him credit so uh you know what he did that particular time well it was a little bit extreme uh but i had respect for him and mm-hmm. and uh there, there's no need to make a big deal of it you know so i just yeah. 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 Okay. So question for you, why was that your philosophy in fighting uh, in terms, not, not always, but you know, you, you and Chris were very similar in that you really, really did try to protect your players. And one thing I, I think uh, I always hear hockey players say this and I'll get back to the question, but I, I guess I want your feedback on this. You know, they say there's the code, you don't, you know, you don't take advantage of another player. You don't sucker somebody, you don't do all this stuff, but and, and it's really that they justify fighting uh, by saying they're protecting the smaller teammates. But there's also times that you got to shake up the game and you want to, you know, tr- try to turn the tide. So I've seen a lot of fighters over the years that just go out and, and try to stir something up. And I'm sure that's happened with both of you guys. Um, yeah, I what- think that's more of a coach's prerogative. You know, if a coach sees his team not really in the game, he might send, look down at the end of the bench and send out his tough guy to stir things up and or or to neutralize one of the opposing team's tough guys that's running around a little bit. But I don't think I, I don't think I ever ever was motivated to change the momentum by getting in a fight. Uh, running a guy, give him a good hard check uh, was my way of getting myself and my teammates into the game but and if a fight resulted in that uh that was you know too bad and what what was the reason why you let people just uh you know you seemed overly fair you would let the guy usually take the first punch or never really try to take advantage of somebody on the first shot what was your thinking on that uh just a sense of fairness that uh you know like my father, my brother speed into me. <laughs> you know, no, it was, it, I just thought it was the right way to do it. And I, I think Knuckles was exactly the same way, except for that one time when he punched me in the nose. <laughs> well, you were chasing well, We'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, I, I think know. you might've forgot. That was yeah, my own fault. I, I think did. you might've forgot the time you punched me in the nose. Uh, well, who are you? Well, well, We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into all of that. I have the videos for all of it. So I, I have uh, one question I have for you, um, Chris, and, and also for Terry about Don Cherry, because I know, uh, Terry, you had great uh, feelings about uh, uh, Don being your coach. I'm sure he would have loved Chris uh, as a player for him on any of his teams. And Chris, you had said, you've said several times that if any coach ever told you go get a you know go out there and get into a fight you tell them the, where to go and you did yeah with uh, uh the canadians coach which led yeah. to your trade but don cherry you know i one of the guys that i've met thank thankfully through terry was uh, john wensink and john would say that uh when things were getting out of hand on the ice um don would go over and tap him on the shoulder and go would you like to go for a little skate john you know, and that was his way of saying, mm. go get this guy who's running everybody. If you were playing for Don Cherry, and, and I'd like to find out why you feel this way if a coach told you this, but and, and I want to find out if that was ever told to Terry as well. But if Don Cherry came to you as your coach and, and said that to you, would you take it the same way that John Prawn told you? You know, when I mean, that's when really hard to right now to answer that. And I say that because of the respect I have for him and how much I really like Don Cherry. I've had him on my podcast 
you know, um, recent, you know, within the, it's about a year and a little over a year ago. And it, it, he was awesome. You know, he's, he's old, older now and he, he doesn't have the fastball he had once, but, uh, I love grapes. I do. Um, he, the reason I did that is total respect. And I felt as though if a coach ever told me to go out and fight, probably one thing, the guy probably never had a fucking fight in his life to begin with and didn't know what it was like. Um, and um, had no respect for me. Um, I, I felt as though even by the time I got to the NHL, like I, I was only 49 games in the American Hockey League, okay? But I had 304 minutes in penalties down there. I was fighting every night. And I didn't come in wanting to say, oh, I'm going to be a fighter. I grew up watching the Bruins. I love the Bruins. <clears throat> I wanted to play good, hard hockey, hit, be physical player. And I had no contract my first year. <clears throat> I had a five-game tryout, $200 a game I was making. I was happier than a clam. You were making that much? Yeah. Jeez. It was unbelievable. I, I was happy as, like I said, pig and shit. Yeah. And um, my first game was in Maine, Philly's farm team. And I got, uh, I ran into a defenseman, Glenn Cochran, a big defenseman. And he ended up slashing me, turned around, we dropped our gloves. I fought him. And I cut him open. And... I had a call from the coach the next day. I get kicked out of the game. He got kicked out. He went nuts. Uh, anyway, get kicked out. He called me down. Coach called me. He said, come down the room. I got to talk to you. I thought I was getting sent down because I got kicked out of the game. That's how naive I was when I came in. And he asked me if I had an agent. I said, no, I don't have an agent. He said, well, you better get one because Montreal wants to sign your contract. And after that, after I, it, word got around the American League that I – fought Cochran and cut him open. Then it was like, okay, who's this guy? So every building I went in after that, you know, I was getting challenged. I couldn't, every, every time I hit someone uh, and I was fighting all the time, almost every night, it was crazy. And um, it's eventually what got me called up. And, um, you know, I, I played pretty well offensively down there. I had like, at 25 points, I had 15 goals. So I, you know, I, I was wanted to play, but it happened that the fighting pot, and to be quite honest, a lot of it came from how I grew up in my neighborhood, my dad, my upbringing with my dad, and watching the Boston Bruins. Blame it, it, it on us. <laughs> I'm not, it's not a blame thing. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a learned behavior. Yeah. And, um, it's something I loved. I mean, I, I, I loved the Bruins. I really did. I, I, I was a like crazy Bruins fan. I remember going to parades, you know, and they won the cup. I loved Bobby Orr. Um, my mother loved Terry O'Reilly. I loved O'Reilly too growing up. I remember seeing Terry O'Reilly play for the Boston Braves in the Boston Garden. And we stole five hockey sticks from the visiting team. Uh, on the wall, <laughs> and we ran out, um, me yeah. and two of my friends, we come in the hall, you know how they keep them against the wall, we grabbed five sticks and took off, we ran out the door and we're gone, we got away with them, and um, you had had a fight that night too, <clears throat> the old Boston Braves, so anyway, back to the original question, <laughs> I got on a run there, what was the original question? I forgot. <laughs> yeah, right? So it had to do with the fighting. And, it, yeah, like I, you know, I didn't come in with that mindset, oh, I'm going to be a fighter. But, boy, that after that first fight, like, I got challenged all the time. and um, But you can play it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Know. Oh, it was the, um, the coach thing, you know? Oh, yeah. John and I felt as though – like I knew how to do it by the time I got to the NHL. I knew when and how and what's going to happen now. Did I know everything? I've been in a couple brawls in Maine. Uh, so I kind of knew when to do it. I didn't have to, <clears throat> I didn't have to be told. 
if you know, I just didn't have to be told. And I always said to myself, I, I wouldn't respect the coach if, if I think it's would be disrespectful to tell me to go out and fight someone. And if he wasn't going to respect me, then he's not getting my respect back. So, yeah, and I stayed true to myself in that. And, um, you know, it it cost me, but, you know, I, I'm i okay with it. <clears throat> I'm okay with it. I, I had one coach who told me I fought too much and to, to slow it down. And I, oh, I Jacques, did, Lemaire. Jacques Lemaire, and I yeah. almost didn't trust him. You know, I'm like, what? You know, because I always saw <clears throat> in Boston, guys slowed down, not, you know, wasn't fighting anymore. See you later. Yeah. So that stuck with me. That's what happened to John Wensink. All right. Yeah, because he he got 28 goals one season, and Don Cherry wanted him not to get goals, and he said that mm -hmm. was the biggest. And he had a lot of respect for Don, and it's he, he's not saying this to disparage him. He was just saying he was yeah. really disappointed because the way he played was so physical that it gave him the space to do what he needed to do because nobody really wanted to challenge him, and that that gave him the goals. And then when he got the goals, he was really happy, and then he was basically told don't. And then he ended up getting traded. Well, John, just imagine going into that building and, you know, there's Jonathan, O'Reilly, Wensink, Secord. Middleton. Do you think your ass would be a little tight, John? Well, let me tell you something. I, I'm, I knew he was going to do this, even though I said I'm not going to bring it up. So I've got something in reverse for you, Chris, to give to him. You'll oh, see it a little bit. Uh, really? You, yeah. You're going to set that up? Yeah. I had one coach that uh, basically sent me out to fight. And I had a little chat with him after the game. That was and, Bep? Well, I don't want to name names. But uh, I had been playing on a regular line uh, for Tom Johnson when I first came up to the Bruins. And uh, a month or so into the season, he was fired. And the new head coach, boom. Uh, I came in, you know, there's double doors in the Bruins dressing room. Yeah. I came through the first set of doors, and Prosty, our trainer, was there. He says, you know, they fired TJ. And uh, I came through the second set of doors, and my, I was on a, the green line. And uh, my green sweater was gone, and there was a black sweater in place. And Chris knows anybody that has a black sweater is a black ace. They're not they're, an ace. they're an extra player. So I just like that with the coaching change, I went off my line to be in a black ace. Not just a black ace. I was right up in the stands. I wasn't even dressing for the next month. I was up in the stands watching the games. And and you know, at least a month went by and then we we go into Philadelphia. And it's the night before we're at the hotel and I just been out had had dinner and I came in and I'm walking through the lobby and the coach comes over and puts his arm around my shoulder. I, I don't think he'd ever spoken to me before that. And he said, I'm going to give you your big chance tomorrow night, kid. I want you to show me what you can do. So, you know, I dressed the next night. I had two shifts in the first period. We're losing two or three nothing to the Flyers. They're running all over the place. He came in and read the riot act and then turned and looked at me, pointed at me, said, O'Reilly, you're not doing nothing. <laughs> you know, and all the guys, now we had Bobby Orr, Phyllis Vizito, Wayne Cashman, all these guys in the, we had a championship team sitting in the locker room. And when he did that, every head in the room popped up and looked at me, and looked at what, <laughs> what did he do? What did the kid do? <laughs> you know, so it was, it was, he, he had wanted me to just go out there and start brawling, you know. So the kid yeah. went out and fought Dave Schultz? I didn't that night. No, no. no. Uh, but the next morning I walked into his uh, office and I said, I, I've got a pretty good idea of what you think of my hockey skills because the day you got the head coaching job, uh, I was bounced off my line and I didn't dress for the next 30 days. So Wow. I said, but I never knew that. Yeah. I said, but if you think that I can sit on the end of the bench and and sent out as an attack dog, I said, I'm not here for that. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fight for myself and my teammates in the course of a game when I'm playing. But, you know, if you're if that's how you're going to use me, you better think about moving me to another team. So that was a short. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. I feel the same way, right? I I had that same mindset. I could have never did what I did and not play. Yeah. Never. And there's well, Don, a story there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Terry. Oh, Don Cherry let me play hockey. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he even let me play, go wherever I wanted. Fucking 90 points. I yeah. mean, come on. I, I used yeah, to 90 say points. that I, I, right wing was just a place to stand for the faceoff. Yeah. You know, once the puck was dropped, I, yeah. I went anywhere. And my left winger, Donnie Marcotte, one of the smartest players that ever played in the NHL, his job was to cover for me. So if I went charging over to his wing to hit somebody, he would cross over and cover my wing so that there was we had a balanced line. Uh, if I went in too deep and got caught uh, and the other team countered and had a, a rush, you could – you know, bet, bet your last dollar that Don Marcotte would be one of the high forwards back checking to make sure that we didn't have an odd, odd man rush against us. So he is, isn't that funny? Yeah. I had one of those guys too, Bob yeah. Ganey, very oh, similar yeah. to oh. Don Marcotte, right? The yeah. two of them, yeah. like twins. Yeah. I guess we could call them our, their, our handlers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They sent us into attack and they just made sure that we did the right thing and, they covered for our mistakes. So, and and Chris, you had a similar experience. Uh, I think you called it "and play I didn't" with Rick Bonus. Yeah, with Boston. Yeah. Um, would you mind just explaining that briefly? I don't know that Terry. Knows yeah. That. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you, Rick Bonus is, is a gentleman. He's a good man, good person. As a coach, I didn't like him, um, and I, I I say that because. And I also say it was, I got to remember, I was at the end of my career too. So I was struggling with a lot of things internally. That's a very tough time for every hockey player. Yeah. And I knew it was, you know, I was getting down there. And I had an incident in training camp. And I got, boss, I got put on the B team. And, you know, if you're on the B team, it just doesn't look too good. And, um, you know, I love playing for Mike Milbury. I absolutely, everybody says, really? I love playing for Mike Milbury. And Rick came in the next year, and I just kind of felt like he was a puppet. And they were telling him what to do. And I went training camp, and then the Bruins go on that first road trip, you know, that long trip every year. And I went on that trip, and uh, Alan Stewart was playing, and Lyndon Bias ahead of me. I was, I didn't play any games. And the last game was in Chicago on the way home. And I went in the warm-up. And I'm like, oh, maybe tonight. Take your stuff off. So I got on the bike, and I'm riding the bike, and bonus combined. He said, you know, I'm really proud of the way you handle this. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't do nothing. Just worked my ass off. And <clears throat> then we got home to Boston, and Alan Stewart, Got in his car, packed his car up, and quit hockey. He was done. He got. He didn't want to fight anymore. Didn't want to do any of that. And then Lyndon broke his ankle in practice. He got hit with a shot. So, was it your shot? No, it have been your <laughs> no. shot. <laughs> Not mine. He'd have been fine if I hit him. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I, you know, he really. Uh, and he came to me. I was sitting there one day, he'd come up with a big smile, all happy, and, hey, you ready to go tonight? He said, you finally get your chance. I said, Rick, go fuck yourself. I, I was so angry. And, yeah. you know, um, I said, you think you want, you, know, you want me to go through a fucking wall for you? The way you treated me? I said, I'm not fucking Ray Bork, and I'm not Cam Neely. I've been played the game as long as they have, and fucking... Just no respect at all. Never even talked to me about it. It just really pissed me off. And maybe I could have handled that better, but that's the way I handle it. <laughs> and um, I didn't play. Yeah. So Joe Fitzgerald wrote an article saying Mike Milbury as <clears throat> assistant GM with Harry ought to 
get off his ass and settle this thing between Rick and Chris. And then he did. We had a meeting. We talked. And Mike said, Chris, you can't tell a coach to go fuck himself. I said, well, I did. So, you know, it's done sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's done. And I said, I won't let it happen again. And then I played that night against New Jersey the next night. And I scored two goals. And... <laughs> He played me close to 20 minutes. I was fucking dead. He, it was like, kind of like, you want to fucking play? No, I'm going to play it. He was double shifting me. And I'm like, I, I don't like, no, I don't want to play this much. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but it was, I got to make a point. He, he said, yeah. so yeah. he did. But yeah, so yeah, I, I had a hard time at the end. You know, I remember... It was like me when I come in. I, who are you going to try all the tough guys, right? you got to make a name for yourself. And um, I remember Stu Grimson came in, Chicago. He was a rookie, 6'5", whatever. He was an animal. Cool. I fought him. And then the next night, we played Hoffman, that big Jim McKenzie. Fought him. Oh, it was, you know, I was sitting on the bench after, and I'm going, you know, you know, I knew I was that little half step you're missing. I know I just, I was losing my fastball. And um, it was getting hotter on me. But, you know, I did it to the end. But it was really getting difficult. Now, did you not play because you didn't want to play? Or he said, uh, no. No, when I told him to go fuck himself, no. <laughs> play I didn't is because he said, "Yeah, I'm not playing. But if he said, yeah, I'll, I still want you to play, would you have played? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to go that far, but I just wanted to see how he's going to react and go fuck yourself. <laughs> As you get older, it takes a, a lot more to get angry. You know, yeah. uh, you're on the ice and some rookie gets on the ice and he looks at you, he looks at the coach and he, he kind of feels obligated to challenge you and, and you it's hard for you to get mad because it's a 19, 20 year old kid making his debut in the NHL. You know, it's, it's, I found that later in my career, uh, really took a little bit more to get me to cross that line. Yeah. And taking that story to the next level, there was a time that I think it was in training camp, Terry, you were telling me that a guy came out to challenge you. Uh, you guys hit in the corner, checked, and uh, you guys started to go at it. And as uh, you were going at it, the guy slipped on a stick. And then, do you, do you remember that story? And if would you mind sharing? Yes, yes. I, I'm not going to mention his name, but he he was a rookie, a big baby face kid. But he was he was uh, a little bit taller than me, wider, looked like a football player. <laughs> and uh, I was driving to his net. He was a defenseman. I was driving to his net. And as his goalie caught the puck and froze it, and he and I ran into each other, we're face to face as the whistle went. And he looked at me and uh, kind of like a, a look of horror. <laughs> and he looked over his shoulder. Now he's looking at his bench and his coach. And you could see his thought process. He was, oh, I, I, he felt obligated to challenge me, to fight me. So he, you can see his face change from surprise to anger, worked up in anger, and he started throwing a few punches. And I grabbed him by his sweater, turned it in, and I pushed him back towards the glass and the boards behind the net. And in doing that, he, he stepped on his, his own stick, and he started to go down. And I had a hold of him. I held him, and I picked him up pushed him against the glass because he's a 19 year old kid first game in the NHL I was just going to hang on and not embarrass him and you know done is done well he was a big boy he got his feet back under him and he's got the glass supporting him behind the boards he pushed me back and I stepped on the same stick went down on my back he lands on top of me he throws about 10 rabbit punches the linesman pull him off, and he and his chest is out to here, and you know he's and his his teammates are banging their sticks on the boards. The coach is cheering him on, and I'm laying there on the ice thinking, no good deed goes unpunished, you know. So 
we both go to the penalty box and uh, get out second period. I line up beside him uh, at a face-off in his end. Uh, he's a left-hand shot. I'm a right-hand shot. Our sticks are crossed. And I, I bent over. And he's bent over, ready for the linesman to drop the puck. And I kind of whispered right in his ear. I said, so did you think it was going to be just one fight? And then I drove. <laughs> and and we fought. It was a I love that. inconsequential fight. And we both went off to the penalty box. When the third period comes down, we line up against the same same spot. I'm bent over, and he's bent over, and I looked at him again. And I said, "So, did you think it was going to be just two fights?" <laughs> and that that was the last time I saw him play in the NHL. You know, and it was basically it was it's not just one fight, and it's not you know if you are going to play in the National Hockey League, you have to face that every night. You know, like, uh, and, and I'm not I'm not just talking about fighters. I'm talking about just the courage to play in the rough areas of the game. You know, the skilled players uh, trying to go around a big, mean defenseman uh, that, that has a nasty hip check and blow your knee out. Uh, uh, a skilled player standing in front of the net with a big defenseman standing behind him, cross-checking him across the shoulders in the back of the neck. You know, that requires courage. And, uh, and and the roles that you and I played, you know, going a little bit further and having to scrap with guys to defend ourselves and our teammates, uh, it, it wears on you every night. You know, you play three games in four nights. And, you know, that third game, you got a few aches and pains. You're a little bit tired. And uh, you pick up the lineup of uh, the team you're playing against, and you look, there's three or four, any one of three or four guys that probably going to challenge you that night, you know. So it... Uh, it wasn't an easy job, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. I wouldn't either. No. And in, in saying that, you know, that uneasiness, that anxiety you get inside, um, it's real. And it, you know, you're right on the money with that, you know, three games of four nights and and see what's ahead of you. And when you're talking about tough guys, and I always say this, everybody associates tough guy with the fighting pot, but. I had a teammate who, teeny little guy, how does it rock? Matt's Nasland, who cool. Matt's would get slashed. He'd skate. He'd go into the corner for the puck. Like, he'd go to the net with the puck and get, you know, to score a goal. Yeah. And I, people always ask, you know, who are some of the tough guys? I said, Matt's Nasland. Like, oh, oh, you know, yeah. think I'm joking. I said, I'm not joking. That's a tough little bastard to be able to. It's not just guys who fight and hit and, you know, there's, and then certainly there's guys that are a little more passive and not as tough and they yep. they can be scared easily, you know, and well, uh, I've seen it. Rick Middleton won the Lady Bing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would he would take, take the puck down the middle of the ice, thread the needle between two big defensemen. Any one of them could have taken yep. the puck and go in and score a beautiful goal. To have that hand-eye coordination and that calmness in the face of that kind of physical danger, you know, you have to have a lot of courage. And, and hardly any tape on your stick. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, that's the thing, you have to have tape on your stick? <laughs> no, he hardly had any tape, didn't uh, he? Yeah. He hardly used any tape, and he'd come yeah. down that, and he'd look like he, you know, he... He didn't look like Connor McDavid going down there. No, no. He put you to sleep, and then it's like he had it on a string. He'd, he'd put the puck where you, you, where you would think that you can get it. You know, he'd go like this and put it right in your feet. And then you'd look down, and he'd reach up and move it over here. And, you know, before you and know And he'd slip by you. He slipped by you, and he's got the puck. <laughs> And talking Crazy. about Middleton, without getting into that incident, because you've already talked about it several times. Oh, Jesus. A- after that, did you ever have a conversation with him? Oh, yeah. yeah what, how did that go? Not, not right away, but in one of the summers I saw him at a, an event and I spoke to him. I just told him, hey, listen, I apologize. That was out of character for me. I never did that. To, um, you didn't mean to hit him with the stick. You, you, no, I, you, and you, I still you, t- t- give it on t- the hand. In the, yeah, the I have my my. I carry my hand over the top of my my stick on the end. When I turned and hit him, 
I hit him with my glove and uh, caught him in the in the mouth. I honestly, if I had my butt end out, I would have ripped his face wide open. And I really, I felt bad after that. I did. And there's not many times in the league I did something that I felt bad about, to be honest with you. But I felt bad about that. And I apologized to him like a man. And I said, I'm truly sorry for what I did. That isn't me. I always, if I had issues with someone, I'd go right to them and fight them. And they'd be guys that yeah. fight, not guys like you. And I, and he accepted. He was really gracious in accepting it. Yeah. You know? He's a classy guy. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it was a, a black mark uh, on me. Um, something that really didn't represent who I am or uh, what I did out there. Chris, there aren't too many players that played as long as you did in the National Hockey League and don't have one or two things they regret that they did, you know. So, right. You know, mine is I, I hit Andy Von Hellman with a backhander, you know. like I remember I, that. I, I, I kind of figured that. Yeah, I saw that piece of videotape and I just thought, you know, what kind of example is that for all the young hockey players in the world? See this? Right grown man smacking a referee you know and i was going to ask you about that what was it because you were embarrassed that he threw you down to the ice while you were chasing del hunter hunter i mean what made you snap like that i i don't remember him throwing me down the ice i dale hunter had uh speared me and i was trying to get him and he turtled I, I have the video. We'll we'll go over it, so we, yeah, we can wait yeah. for that if you want. Yeah. But, but I, you I, know, I, my memory is that he he grabbed my arm, and Dale Hunter was still free. Uh, and it's very unusual for a referee to grab a player. That's the linesman's job. They're they're supposed to get themselves in position, and at the same time, they each take the combatants and and try to pull them apart. So if the referee comes in and just grabs one player, that other player can reach in and have a couple of freebies. And I, I did it as more of a reflex. When he grabbed me, I, it was a backhander, like, let go. Uh, it's, but, a, it's a little different. I'll show you the, the video. But yeah. um, okay, so, uh, but what was, so it was a reflex. It wasn't something that you were like, you know, he, he just, because he was, you were trying to get at Dale Hunter because he had actually speared yeah, Wayne Cashman. Yeah, and and uh, he had done a few things to you before in the game. So you were it was at the end of the game, and you wanted to get him. And Ben Hellman, you were chasing him. He grabbed the back of your jersey, and you turned around and fell down. And that's when you got up and you kind of swatted him. And so uh, I was just curious if it was because you fell down. It's kind of like Holmgren punched Ben Hellman in the chest when I think he was going after Paul Baxter or something, which is a story I'll talk to Chris about. But I just was curious if that's because you were, you felt like he embarrassed you by falling down or pulling you down. Uh, well, I'd like to see the video. It's been a while okay. since I saw that. Maybe I'll okay. see the video. <laughs> okay. Let's um, go to the video tape. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe.